Hi, I'm Jenny Wood, writer of Flutter and A Boy Like Me. And I'm listening to Adrian Has Issues because Adrian has issues and I do too. everybody welcome to adrian has issues so real quick though just kind of to tell a little bit of a story something that we often deal with on this podcast is you know the indie community whether it be of comics or even sometimes comedy or music and one cool thing about those communities is that everybody pretty much talks and i mean that in the sense of when you get to know somebody you become friends with them you know, they recommend things to you and you're saying to yourself, all right, I had a conversation with this person. They're really cool. So this thing that they're talking about, it sounds like something I want to get into, which is kind of what happened today. A mutual follower had sent this tweet out about a sort of project and I don't know what it was. All I just knew was the name sounded cool. I need to be involved. So looked into it, did a little bit of a dialogue, and now we're here chatting on the podcast. I, I think that's really cool when creators go out of their way to mention the stuff that other people are working on, whether they're fans or they worked on it themselves, because really that's how this builds, that's how the network grows, and, and it's a beautiful thing. But I'll get right to it. I have two guests today. Let's see. Well, my first guest is uh, Lindsay G, who is the editor, writer, and co-founder of Oneshi Press. And also JL Draco, who's the illustrator, designer, and co-founder of Neshi Press. They have some really cool projects such as uh, Tracy Queen, Pack, and uh, the series entitled Children of Gaia, which the latest entry is an art book entitled The Great Nations of Andaria, which will be out May 5th. So please welcome Lindsay Jean, JL Draco. How are you doing? Hello. Hey, how are you? All right. Great to be here. Thank you so much for having us on your podcast. That's awesome. Yeah. I felt a little odd about it because I was super excited when I saw that tweet. So I sent the follow and then, you know, we ended up in uh, DMs, we're chatting and it's like, you want to be on the show? It's like, great. Like, absolutely. It's like, let's just go. Like, it sounded so cool. And what I love about it is there's just so many different things. And I know it's hard enough to even get like, let's say a comic book off the ground. But I mean, you have art books, you have, like I said, your typical comics and there's this really cool art animation. You do live streams. There's so much stuff that you to do. And meanwhile, I just did this one podcast. So my first question before we even get into intros is how the hell do you find the time? <laughs> uh, well, we don't sleep. <laughs> We're vampires. We eat very quickly. <laughs> We're not vampires. That's not true. Don't tell anybody about that. I mean, the last time I took a full day off, like without bringing work with me, you know, was probably sometime in the 1800s. <laughs> you mean last year, right? Last year. Right. Uh, we yeah, are not sometime vampires. Last year. <laughs> what is it? 2020 something now? It's fine. Um, it's fine. Whatever. Um, <laughs> so actually, there, there's kind of a story behind this. Um, we met... And we're both living and working full-time in New York City in 2012. Um, full-time plus. We yeah. were also doing freelance work outside of our full-time jobs. Yeah. Wow. Um, and we're both creative people. I'm a writer and JL is a visual artist. Um, so we were working full-time and doing freelance work for clients. And we also had all these projects that we wanted to do on our own that we just did not have the time to make happen. So we started to collaborate on Tracy Queen, which is a graphic novel that I wrote, and he started to do the artwork for. 
And we sent it out to like, I don't know, somewhere around like 20 yeah, publishers. At least. Um, we made up a little eight page sample with art and story synopsis and did it very professionally. And we got all of these great responses from editors saying, this is great, but I can't touch it. I don't know what to do with it. It doesn't fit, you know, it's my too different. Yeah. yeah. It, we can't market it. It or... was basically too sexy for non erotic comics publishers and graphic novel publishers and not sexy enough for the erotic crowd. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I've never heard that before that it's <laughs> not sexy enough for the erotica crowd, but aren't there like different subgenres and things like that? That's weird. Well, I mean, that's what I thought too, but I think it's because narratively it focuses at times on sexual scenarios, like some of the the content. You know, it it goes there in the narrative, but it's not like a book where there's routinely, you know, erotic art in it or anything like that, right. you know. Yeah, it's not sex for the sake of sex, but there is sex in the story. And, you know, I, I don't know exactly what the formula was that they were looking for, but just nobody would touch it. But we got enough positive feedback from people saying, this is great, I just can't do it, that we were like, you know, we have something here. And we had all these other projects that we wanted to work on together and, you know, some that JL had been working on on his end for years and some that I'd been working on. And we were just afraid that it was never going to happen unless we made it. So we packed up and moved to Montana. So now (laughs) (laughs) we live in Missoula, Montana, and we don't have full time nine to five employment jobs. Um, No commute. Yeah, no commute. We work from home um, and we both still do freelance work for a number of clients, but we're able to focus the time that we're not doing our freelance work on bringing these projects to life. So that's our rather complicated, but, you know, true story of not being vampires. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I would love to add to that, you know, about that backstory that I think has always really been like, um, I don't know, there's something like neat about it to me. So like my resume, you know, my CV has always been focused on like basically all of the ingredients that you would need to be illustrating and designing. And like I build websites, I do VFX, I do editing, I'm an illustrator, a graphic designer. So like I have all the ingredients for the visual components. Right. And Lindsay has been a writer and she went to school for it and she's been a journalist and she worked as a professional editor at Penguin and copy editor. Right. Okay. <laughs> copy editor at Penguin and has done editing freelance. So she had like all of the text components, the literary components. You know what I mean? We both just had these like pretty incredibly long resumes and CVs that were like really detailed, but very split down the middle. Like she had half of the ingredients and I had half of the ingredients, you know? So, like, when we came together on it, we were just like, wow, this could really work. Like, I think between the two of us, there's only a few things that, like, we really need to reach out to others for. Let's just do this, you know. So it's almost like, you know, like those um, those little, like, heart necklaces where it's like half a heart and half a heart. (laughs) Like, they just kind of fit together, you know, to make it cheesy. really sweet. While we're focusing right now on our projects that we're working on together, we're really hopeful that Oneshi Press will grow. And we're looking to work with other people 
in the future. Right now, we don't really have the resources to be publishing other people's books, but we're really hopeful that that will happen as we grow. Right. I mean, shoot, to go off and start your own enterprise, that in and of itself is crazy. But it is really cool that you mentioned that you're two uh, sides of this sort of one little dynamic. But in, in a way, that's like this perfect match, because as I've learned talking to other people on the show is that you can do one thing and be good at it. And that's great if you can make it work. But I, I guess the dynamic of the community and the scene now is that you almost have to know a little bit of everything, even if it's not your main focus. So I, I guess it actually better serves you and also better serves Aneshi because it's like you have the ability to. So, I mean, yes, it would be cool if you were able to bring on more people and do things because obviously the more the merrier in terms of that goes. But at least you have some background in that, which is something that not everybody does. And I think also, you know, another thing about that is the benefit there is like because we've both worked in so many different types of jobs related to our industry. So we're both like generalists. That's good. But what's really good about that, honestly, is the amount of people that we know in those two very, very broad fields. There's a lot of things that we might need like yeah, I've got a guy for that. Or Lindsay has someone for that. Or, you know what I mean? Like what between the two of us, one of us knows someone that does that. And, and, you know, there we go, we hire them, like, you know, or work out a deal or trade or, you know, like, it is also other people that we are reaching out to and being resourceful about. And I mean, it is, like you said, it's a, there's a a community and everyone has to, to wear multiple hats. And when you know who those people are, you know, you can call on them for what you need and, and they call on you for what, they need, you know what I mean? Right. And I think that is the indie kind of like ideal scenario that I feel like doesn't exist so much in, with like, you know, the big established dinosaurs or, you know, top dogs, whatever you want to call them. Ouch. Oh, that's a little crass. <laughs> no, I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, I don't know about phrasing notwithstanding. I don't know. I probably yeah. would have probably said it like slightly more sarcastic, but I say everything sarcastically. So, <laughs> but no, you're <laughs> right. Because when you have that, an entity that large, yeah, it's probably much easier to farm out things, but doing something very indie, very DIY, you know, there's a little bit of effort that goes into it and you have to rely on other people to help with those things you have to be at least a little bit more diligent in terms of how you do things because like you said you know word travels so yeah you could do all those things but you also have to be able to do them well yeah yeah i I really am hopeful that oneshi press is going to sort of blossom into a little community you know unto itself you know where where we know everyone involved and they all know us and we can introduce people who need this service to people who need that service and you know work with everyone in between and so far, it's it's going well. I mean, we're yeah, very we're, small. We're in we're early days. We're building a community, but, you know. Yeah, um, but we know some happening. great people. And you know some of the same great people. Yeah, And they're totally. fantastic. <laughs> right? And I know, at least in and of myself, if it weren't for those great people, this wouldn't have grown as much. Because, you know, I could easily do this on a weekly basis. But how is that really going to help if there's no one around to hear it or even get the word out? Right. right. So, yeah, it's you always definitely need people in your corner. Well, you know, we'll be definitely promoting the heck out of your show, for sure. <laughs> well, the show hasn't ended. We'll see. No, I'm, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We'll be burying it. We'll be like, don't ever let anyone hear that. Oh, God. It's like, it turns out we are vampires, and we will bite you when this is over. Right. <laughs> no, we're totally not. <laughs> so, with the latest book that's coming out, 
Great Nations of Andaria. Now, we were speaking a little bit before the show. You're saying that the Chosen of Gaia line is a series of different books. So would you mind elaborating on that and what exactly that entails? Yeah. So, okay. Um, well, a little <laughs> brief overview. Um, Children of Gaia has been a work in progress for over 20 years now. Uh, oh, wow. And I co-founded it with my partner, Chris Cavelli. And we've been, you know, just hauling butt on designing <laughs> everything you could imagine. I mean, when we say it's an immersive world, I mean, it's an immersive world. Like, we've just been nonstop designing for over 20 years. So now we have, over the last few years, accrued kind of like a, a writing guild of Children of <laughs> Gaia. There's the six of us and... You know, we, we call ourselves the COG core. So we know like if we say, oh, this is a core meeting, you know, anyone else is not involved. But then there's also like affiliates and other people that we kind of work with and beta readers and things like that. But the COG core is six of us. And I mean, it's like I'm just stunned every time I think about the amount of talent that I have with me when we're working on this. And it's like, I'm just, it's like a kid in a candy store, you know, like picking everyone's <laughs> brains and, you know, just brilliant, freaking awesome people. So <laughs> we have the, the main story that all six of us are focusing on. That includes Lindsay, that includes Chris Cavelli, that includes Jenny Williamson, that includes Peter Lampasona, that includes Laurie Gisred. Like we're just working hardcore on that all the time, the main storyline. And then we have all these different side stories. And we really want to start releasing the side stories first. So the main storyline is like this big epic plot with like tons of characters. And, you know, like it, it spans several years to like maybe a generation. But these side stories, each one has a kind of a different vibe, a different feel. And okay. The Great Nations is actually a book written by a character in the main story. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So in the main story, this character, Jan Cajun, he's a scholar and he is writing this book like fervently. He's he's pretty much lost everyone he knows. It's really like a very depressing point in his life. And he's like trying to record all of this information before he dies because he was a scholar of this library that was essentially torched and everyone's gone. I don't want to give too many spoilers, but this is an overview. <laughs> right. Um, so like his, in his mind, like he was supposed to protect this information by being a scholar in the library. And now that the libraries are gone, his way of protecting the information is writing this book along with several other books. And so like in the story, this is something he's working on. Writing and illustrating. Oh yeah. And illustrating. It's an illustrated book. So I wrote it and illustrated it from his perspective, like as if I'm this character. So it's not very similar to my other drawing styles on other projects that I worked on because I wanted to like visually make it look like this guy drew it, you know, um, if that makes any sense. Like this yeah, guy that makes perfect sense. Culture. Cool. Yeah. And then, you know, I also wrote it that way, too. Like a scholar from this culture, he would talk kind of differently than the way I talk, you know. So I wrote it that way, too. And Lindsay has been just invaluable in as an editor like going over <laughs> she knows all of the the major backstory and she knows pretty much everything about the children of gaia universe so like she was able to like really fine tune things and be like hey well we know that this is true but 
there's no way that Jan Cajun could know that. So he can't have written this sentence. And, you know, like just tweaking like little details. Those details are going to be what kind of makes or break the story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it was the super, super nerd core. Like, <laughs> my brain is still, like, kind of beat up in the corner right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. I mean, the, the Children of Gaia universe, as we call it, is this vast, vast fantasy world that, you know, has been in production for over 20 years. So I basically had to learn as much as I could about that universe in order to figure out how to edit the great nations of Randaria. And so it really did turn into like a super nerd, like Lindsay had to become a scholar. Yeah. Basically instead of, you know, we're sort of like reverse engineering a fantasy realm. So like, whereas you have star Wars where you had sort of the films came out and then this giant fandom, you know, with all of these subsidiary entities sort of cascaded down from it. We're building right. the subsidiary entities first because the main story, although we know it, is not prepared yet. So the Great Nations of Rendaria is sort of a backstory, but it's also like a, an actual artifact from within the larger story. I'm now imagining it almost like an RPG where, yes, you have your overarching story, but the story almost kind of not really takes a side step, but you find out that it's really like the, the more intimate, smaller stories and, you know, like the side quests <laughs> that really fill in like the larger pieces, because yeah. if you just have the larger overview, it's, you know, you're, you're going to be missing pieces. So I don't know. I, I'm starting to geek out a little bit. If that's, yeah, <laughs> if that's allowed. That's what do we it, want. do it. Geek out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cause I don't know. Everything is just brought to me in video games. So <laughs> forgive me. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, that's, that's actually a thing. So, you know, like we've been really both. Okay. So like one of the things we also do pretty regularly is we spend like at least an hour reading and at least an hour watching, you know, sci-fi fantasy shows like pretty much every day. In addition to all this ridiculous amounts of work, <laughs> it's like if you you can't cre- like all right, I, I won't say what you can and can't do, but personally, <laughs> I feel like I would be remiss as someone who is hoping to add something wonderful to pop culture if I wasn't a student of pop culture. Right, you know, like, exactly. And I feel like it's my job to be a scholar of pop culture and take it in and understand where it's going and where it's not going and what's changing about it. And you know what I mean? Like to understand that and try to be like, okay, we're writing this now. If it takes us another 10 years to like get this made into a show, like where are shows going to be in 10 years? You can't really know that you can't, no one can, but you can look at like trends in society, trends in pop culture and look at the changes and, you know, try to understand how to like prepare for the fact that things will be different then. And it needs to have a a wide enough range, like, what are those shows or those movies that are timeless? How did they do that? You know, like, you can watch Lord of the Rings, I'm sure, you know, like, 50 years from now, and it'll still be like Lord of the Rings. There's certain things that just have that timelessness. And even if a lot of the perspective that they were written from is no longer, like, where we're at socially, it's at least not so off that it's like dated itself and been canned. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like there are some things like, yeah, most like epics now are a little bit more progressive than Lord of the Rings and a little yeah. bit more inclusive, but at least it wasn't so bad that it's like, Ooh, you're 
you're actually morally in the wrong if you watch that. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that has happened too. I mean, shoot, there's been so many things that I've watched and I'm like, remember so fondly as a kid. And then I'll sit down now and I'm like, this is, this is, this is kind of racist, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> or like, exactly. there's some really like messed up politics and I get it. It's written at a time when obviously that was slightly more acceptable. And, you know, a lot of those stories were usually written by, you know, older, white gentlemen so of course it's like that's a little bit different than you know like i said a, a more uh modern and more progressive climate so yeah you understand it i mean you may not necessarily like it but at the same time you realize that okay this doesn't have to be this way right, right. exactly yeah and i mean i feel like most of fantasy as we know it really i mean i guess originally came from like germanic folklore and mythology but you know came to us through lord of the rings and you know, General Tolkien was not perfect. He, he had a very, very, I don't know what the word is, Anglo-centric view of the world. Well, you know? that was and, his upbringing. That was his, where he came from. Right. You know? Right. But, you know, what they made was classic and is never, I don't think it's ever going to, like, leave our cultural imagination. But we can do better now. You know? Right. So, you know, the thing with that is, like, I would say, like, yeah, Lord of the Rings could certainly have been more pro- progressive in that it could have been more inclusive, but at least there, I don't think that I know of that I'm aware of. I don't think there was anything like outright racist about it, mm. you know, and like there was nothing outright dated about the way that story was told that makes it like no longer relevant or appropriate, you right. know? Yeah. There's definitely some issues though. Like I know for some people, like there was a lot of issue with how, like what they called like the men of the East were how they were depicted. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that was always a little tough. And even like I said, yeah. Yeah. About it. but again, you kind of unfortunately have to reconcile that a lot of times where it's like, yeah, some of this a little, a little problematic. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the thing with like, when we talk about like things that are problematic in storytelling, like you're never going to be able to avoid that because there's things today that are normalized that hopefully tomorrow won't be that we don't even, we haven't even thought of yet. Yeah. And we don't know what kinds of things people are going to realize like, wow, we've been doing this for hundreds of years and this is absolutely foul. No one should ever do this. And like it might be something normal, like driving your car and burning gasoline. Well, we are. You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, but maybe a hundred <laughs> years from now, people will be like, oh, God, I can't believe they drove cars. What the hell was wrong with them? You know what I mean? Like, they were destroying the whole time. planet. It was like, a different time. It was a know? different time. You have to understand. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we don't really. And that's maybe a very poor comparison. But well, but I there's, mean, the it, point is there. It, you know what I mean? Yeah. You don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to yeah. be something. And we're going to be doing it wrong. Like, it's, it's unavoidable. <laughs> so, like, if I could just take a moment to talk about that. You know, this was something tricky for me because the main character of the great nations of Randaria, the, the narrator, Jen Cajun. So like early in the book, like within the introduction chapter, you realize that he's talking about his husband who he thinks is dead. The character is based on a friend of mine who I absolutely love. Um, a very, very good friend of mine. And I was just like, I want to make you a character, you know? And like it, didn't even occur to me until like, you know, talking to a few people since then that like for a fantasy story, like high fantasy kind of story with like elven type characters to have like a main character who is gay and not the butt of a joke, not like, you know what I mean? Like he's not a stereotype or anything like that. He just, right. It just happens to be, it's normalized in that world, in that world. Like there's not really hang up about that. 
So, you know, like that was like, well, should I make a big deal out of that? Or should I just say it in passing? Like, that's just a fact on this world. You know, like a few people be like, dude, you should really like market this as like LGBT, you know, like Q friendly, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) and I kind of felt like, well, I mean, well, I think it's great that people do that because like it's championing a cause. Like, I don't want this to have a cause. Like, I just want it to be like, that should be fine. That should be normal. It shouldn't be a thing that people should think about. And I think if it's if it's just presented as normal, like that actually in the long run might might help for progressive thinking outside of the box and not getting hung up on on things like that. You know what I mean? Like, right. And that's something that I've had conversations about that very same thing about obviously these things that we're trying to normalize and have it be as every bit of normal society as anything else. So then I guess there's the question that I ask is. You know, if it's not necessarily made a point of, does that actually better serve, you know, the community or is that considered uh, sliding them? Because I don't know, maybe someone will probably find a way to better phrase it. But that's the only way I could think of, because, yeah, that, that's that's tough, because, again, you don't want to have someone say, well, I don't want to make a huge deal of it and then have them be offended and thinking that they're, you know, being accused of erasure in any ways, you know? Right, yeah. right. Well, I mean, you know, it's it, I mean, the character clearly states that he is talking about his husband in the introduction chapter. Like it's not hidden, but you know, and I've talked to a few different people about that and I really, as far as I can tell, it depends on who you ask and you can't make everyone happy. So ultimately you just have to do like what, what you feel is right for that project, for that thing. And, you know, just accept that you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, you know, like, Someone is going to get upset by it. And I wish that that wasn't true. I wish that I could make sure that no one was ever upset by anything I did. You know, like I wish that I could make something that could enrich everybody in a positive way. Maybe one day I will be that good. But until then, like I'm just going to have to do the most enriching things that I can think of and, you know, just hope for the best and just do it as well as I can. And always talk to people about it. Yeah, and always talk to people and always get feedback. But sometimes you really do stumble onto something where, like, you get 50-50 feedback. Yeah. And it's like, I don't think you should do it like that. I think you should do it like this. And then someone else is like, no, I think you should do it the other way. And it's like, well, uh, (laughs) I can't do both, Uh, you know. I will applaud both of you for that because – I've seen it on like social networking or like I said in conversations that I've had where creators are, you know, they're asking these questions and you're right. It is tough to figure out what's the best course of action. But I guess in a way, if maybe that seems very simplistic, but at least you're even asking that question of yourself, of your writing and of the message you're coming across because, you know, I don't want to necessarily harp too much on it, but there's a lot of cases where you're probably said to yourself, I really wish someone had taken a time out and asked somebody and really thought this through before it went out. Cause then, you know, you don't want to necessarily, like you said, accidentally hurt somebody's feelings or whatever, but there's some people who it may not even come across their minds. So at least if you're willing to engage, and I, I think at least if you're asking, creating a dialogue, getting to know what people think that's a lot more work than what often goes into situations like this so you know obviously it's not where you want to be but yet at least it's happening yeah yeah and i think that's i i hope that that's like a trend that we're on and not a trend but an upswing like I, i think that pop culture is taking into consideration like 
that there is a way that you don't have to offend anyone to like make something good, you know, like you actually don't have to be offensive to be funny. Like, you know, and you can be cool. Like I'm not going to take away anyone's free speech, but like, I'm also interested in the idea that like, you can tell a story that talks about racism without being racist. You know, you can tell a story that talks about sexism without being sexist. There is racism and sexism in children of Gaia. There is, you know, there's, a horrible colonial empire in Children of Gaia and they're a patriarchy and they're not very tolerant. But they don't think they're horrible. They don't think they're horrible. <laughs> you know, it also has their perspective and there are heroes on that side, heroes on, unto themselves. And that gets really dicey. And, and I think that's really important. I think it's important to get dicey and nuanced when you can, you know? Yeah. I mean, um, I mean a lot of these themes are, are things that we're trying to grapple with in all of our projects. Yeah. Cause we really believe that it's important for pop culture to, you know, reflect tolerance, but not to shy away from how difficult that can be. You know, in the real world, people have problems right. with things and, and not always for the right reasons. And um, we're putting ourselves into a, I don't know, a precarious position with some of the stuff that we're doing because we don't want to flinch away from telling the stories that we feel we need to tell. But, you know, at the same time, we're we're both white people and we're in a heterosexual relationship and, you know, we're living in a part of the country where most of the people around us look relatively like us. And it can be scary because we want so badly to do the right thing. And so we're trying to engage in these conversations and we're trying to be progressive in our general outlook. But it is always a little like, oh, God, what if, you know, who's going who might take this this way and are we the bad guys and it's a scary place to be in but we're hoping that you know if more people do what we're doing and just try their best it pushes our pop culture forward right and to make that effort and at least getting that dialogue started it's a step in the right direction and you know because it's like it's a snowball effect It, it keeps building there's different schools of thought, there's different mindsets about it, but there is definitely, like, a wrong way, which I don't think this necessarily is that. Because, you know, there's some people, or there's some stories that I've read where, you know, they want to address it, but aren't at least aware of the fact that they're coming maybe from a place of privilege. And, yeah, yeah it's like you want to tell the story, but yet you also have to acknowledge that it's easy for you to tell the story because, for you, this may not be your life particularly. Where right. to somebody else, this may be a much bigger issue. So, and also the thing of obviously trying to promote equality or things like that, where you don't want to come off like you're silencing anybody else. But that's, you know, that's also happened too. But I don't know. Like I said, I think this is definitely not that in as much as at least you're aware of the fact that, look, we're coming from this particular place, but, you know, we also have something to say about it. But we're not necessarily trying to do that in silencing anybody else in the process right and definitely i mean the bigger thing i think is like trying not to be like i made this decision or that decision to like pander you know what i mean like it's Mm -hmm. and that's i think like wanting to like not um not market anything as such is like intentionally to like not exploitatively pander to, to like anyone that you know what i mean like that's why i'm like Right. Oh, no, I wouldn't describe this book as like championing this cause or that cause or this, you know what I mean? Even though there's a lot of different things in there that are like, whoa, cool. Um, (laughs) But it's like stuff that I want to see in my world that I live in. And I think Mm. 
writing a good art book that might affect some like teenagers or kids that like might be part of the next generation. You know what I mean? Like to whatever degree it can help make the world that I want to see. And I think when we make worlds in pop culture, we have to realize that we are also making the world. Art does imitate life because artists have to draw from things they know, but life also imitates art. You know, people are affected by things they get in movies and TV shows. And then those people go on to affect other people. And I think like sometimes you just have to be like, hey, what do I want to see in the world? And find a way to make that the romantic element of your story, the beautiful elements of your story. Right, exactly. And you make it clear which elements in your story are the ugly ones that you don't want to see in your world, you know? And like, it's impossible for people to write, I think, fiction that isn't doing that. It's just whether or not they own up to it. Right. I think that's really it, owning up to it. And that's a really good point. That's a really good way to phrase it is just owning up to the things, much like we acknowledge the fact that, all right, as much as we enjoy Lord of the Rings, there's parts of it that are a little dubious. And like I said, like things are, but, you know, so it's not like you're saying, oh, this thing's great and wonderful and it's it's perfect and there's nothing ever wrong with it ever. You know, nothing, nothing (laughs) gets better that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, I want to think that in the future people will be able to like criticize thousands of things about me personally my lifestyle my writing because that would mean that we've progressed if one day like the way i'm living my life today isn't considered like outdated that would mean that we've stagnated and that would be very sad oh definitely you don't want to necessarily look at history through rose-colored glasses and unless you're cyclops then you look at everything through rose-colored glasses but (laughs) I mean, but I could that's, be. That's for the best. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. That's for everyone's benefit. <laughs> oh, but but I love that these themes are coming through, which tells me something that people, even if they're not necessarily there yet in their own creations, they're at least thinking it through, and that's the best we can hope for. Right. Yeah. Awesome. That's very good to hear. <laughs> yeah, I would like to think so. Yeah. I mean, you know, just the idea of thinking about it, right? It's a step. It's a step. Well, I guess it is also doing because, you know, obviously you're creating this universe. They're creating the book. So, you know, they're they're still practicing it in some way because, you know, like I said, when I was a kid and well, even now, comic books or at least comic book culture, these things were kind of my life. And a lot of these characters and a lot of these themes were things that I think for a lot of people, if I can if I can speak for them, you know, we carry these things with us uh, through our everyday lives. Oh, yeah. And that must be hard because, I mean, I've never created, let's say, a comic book per se. But to build something then, I guess, with the hope of it being taken in by society and it sort of like grows past you in a way where, you know, like someone when they, let's say, created Superman or Captain America or even like, let's say, even more recently, like a, a Ms. Marvel, people take that in and it becomes a part of their own world, becomes a part of their lives. So then there's that responsibility to then make sure that those characters in these worlds also better serve that and you're being responsible with them, which is something that I don't think a lot of people talk enough about, I think, when it comes to creating worlds and things is a responsibility. Well, I mean, I've actually even gotten into conversations with people about it where they've gotten angry about that concept of responsibility. Like, no, I'm an artist. My responsibility is to create what I feel and what I'm inspired to create. Like, I shouldn't have to take responsibility for for how my art is taken. Because, like, at the end of the day, you can't control how it's taken. However, like, anyone can at least take responsibility for that. Well, you can take responsibility for your creation process. You yeah. Know, what right. you decide to put into it. 
And but have I've even heard of like you know certain shock artist rock musicians that have taken responsibility for I mean not personal responsibility but like have taken responsibility in a sense for like young kids who were angry and like did something fucked up while they were listening to so and so's music came out and made public statements and like talked to the parents and like talked to the kid and like talked to the victims and like you know what I mean like that's still that's even taking responsibility in a way being at least a responsible person when someone takes your stuff the wrong way. There's many different levels of being responsible. And I think like a lot of people just don't want to be responsible, but ultimately everyone is, everyone's responsible for everything they do. Well, you know, I also kind of think that when, when you're a creative person and what you're creating is a narrative, there's sort of a heightened level of responsibility there. You know, if you're making, you know, like a, if you're a painter, people can look at your painting and sort of come away with anything that they want, but it's a static image, you know? But when you're creating a story, whether yeah. it's visually or, you know, in writing or any other storytelling device, like you really are building a world every time and you do have to decide what gets included in that world um, and what gets championed in that world. And I think there's a lot of responsibility that should come with that personally and you can't ever control what will happen to it once it leaves your hands but you know you can craft it as responsibly as you know how to reflect the values that you think are important yeah i think that's a, a an interesting way to put it there's there's definitely that because like i said once it's out there it's out in the world you're not necessarily creating it just for your own personal collection so once it reaches that it's you know, it's out there probably for good and or maybe, you know, even if whether it takes <laughs> off or not, it's out there. And well, granted, that's a whole other discussion because that's scary as hell when you think about it. But because <laughs> like, you know, earlier you two were very concerned. It's like, well, I, I hope this thing we created, people don't take it the wrong way. But, you know, it's like, you know, you're putting something out there. And I've always been appreciative of anybody, at least on that level, to be able to create, to put stuff out there, even if I think it's not necessarily great. You know, that person still put in the hour. So, yeah, you're right. So with all that yeah. in mind, you have to really make sure that you're not misrepresenting yourself or anybody else. I mean, if that's if that's what you care about, you know, <laughs> not every person who's creative cares about how they're representing themselves in, in that way. Some you know? people just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I guess if that is the, the mission statement, you know, a, a little transparency <laughs> couldn't hurt. Uh, yeah, a little, a little transparency. <laughs> Be upfront about it. If someone just flat out said, yeah, I created this thing that was terrible only because I wanted to gauge a reaction. It's like, okay, do I agree with it? Maybe not. But hey, at least I knew they weren't necessarily trying to feed me a line about trying to bridge the gap or something. Yeah. Right. yeah I think in a lot of ways, that's, that's what Andy Warhol was doing. Like, he, a lot of what he made, he was like, eh, you know, whatever. But people love it. Let's just see what happens when I do this. And he's one of the, you know, most renowned artists of the last 500 years. I mean. <laughs> okay, let's take a quick break and um, I'll be back. We'll talk more about Great Nations of Rendaria with Lindsay G and uh, J.L. Draco. So we'll be back right after this. Hello, fellow nerds. Check out our network site, nerdslot.com. You can also connect with us on social media like the Facebook, the Twitter, and the Instagram. If you like what you hear, look for NerdSloth on Patreon and consider donating to help us continue delivering quality shows straight to your ears. If you'd like to help the shows out for free, head over to iTunes and write a heartfelt review. I mean it, make me cry happy tears. But seriously though, anything you can do really helps us out and we love you for it.
And we're back. I am speaking to Lindsay G and JL Draco, the co-creators of Oneshi Studios. And, you know, we've been talking a little bit about the overview, I guess, from a more societal standpoint of the Great Nations of Rendaria and also the Children of Gaia series in and of itself. But I, I guess we would probably be remiss if we didn't talk more about the world itself and what it's really about. So, uh, JL, if you will, if you want to discuss that for a little bit, um, I'd be honored. Sure. Thank you. Uh, the honor is mine. Um, so the great nations, it's really, it's about these six nations that kind of globalized this world, Rendaria. The main character, the author and illustrator, Jan Cajun, he's a scholar. And these six great nations, they were like spread out across the globe and had contact with all like the smaller nations and tribes and peoples nearest to them. But then they had contact with each other. So in a way, they, they were kind of like cotterpin societies in this globalized world. And so that was also the reason why they were the first primary military targets in colonizing this world and taking it over. What we go through is Jan Cajun talking about trying to understand what happened. And he kind of lets it be known that he doesn't really have all the details, but he wants to preserve the information about these nations. So there's six very compartmentalized cultures. They almost act as one culture. And I think that kind of adds into the conversation that we were having before, because these are made up fantasy cultures and it's globalized and there's all these other societies that they work with. And it's very different from Earth. It would be like, imagine a globalized world that globalized through cooperation rather than through competition. What I mean by that is like, you know, societies building together to create these larger and compartmentalized societies uh, instead of like this society trying to be bigger than that society and trying to win, you know, like right. we're going to be more human than you other humans, you know, like the book kind of goes through like the cultures and the histories, um, the way of life of all these different, these six great nations and kind of tries to like distill the hallmark of each of those nations, who each nation was, why they were the way they were, why it was so perfect for them to be in this union with the other five. He has his intro where he talks about who he is and why he's writing this book briefly. And then he talks about these nations. But then in the end, he talks about their demise and what hmm. he knows of their demise. And that kind of leaves him, leads right up to him writing this book. So like the end of the book is basically him deciding to write this book, which is kind of, it's like super meta, you know, like <laughs> it's a little tweaky how meta it is, but you know, but it was a lot of fun. And, you know, I spent years on the illustrations, literally. I mean, even when I had my full-time job back in New York, I was um, on my lunch breaks and on my commute, I would, I would be standing on the subway train at rush hour in a packed train balancing while drawing sketches for that became the illustrations for this book. I'd say like 30% of this book was drawn standing on a train um, <laughs> to and from work because that was, you know, a solid two hours a day that I had to draw. And I drew on my lunch breaks. I drew when I got home, I drew before dinner and then I'd make dinner or, or help make dinner, you know, clean up and then I'd do more drawing and then go to sleep. If I didn't have enough time to get the drawing done that I wanted to do that day, I would bring my sketchbook to the bathroom. You know what I mean? Like, whatever I had to do. Like, not to be rude or anything. TMI, TMI. Yeah, no, no. 
but still it was, it was just, you know, and that's what I had to do. But I also felt like it put me in the headspace of this character. That's how he feels like he was a scholar of these libraries and his mission is to protect this information. And now everything has been destroyed and he might be the last scholar left. He might be the only person left with this information. He has to write it all down before he gets discovered and killed and, you know, or dies of whatever, like he's alone out in the world pretty much. So like his mission is to get this done. And that was kind of my mission when I was doing it. it was like, this is the first children of Gaia book. Like I have to get it done, you know, like, um, so I kind of, I did as much as I could to be like method acting about it, you know, like, method actors like get into character and just don't break character like i was like trying to not break character as an old school scholar illuminator you know of this tome which is now just a small little paperback book but anyway so that's that's pretty much in a nutshell like can give you a feel of what this story is and there's a lot of really cool like fun art that i had a lot of fun making like showing you know diagrams of different building structures with like cutaway views of the architecture and then there's like you know, each for each nation, I have a page that shows what different people from that nation might look like, you know, a male and female of each like different, you know, kind of quintessential like job of that or member of that society. Like, I don't know if I should give examples or not, but yeah, um, give an example. <laughs> all right. So, so, all right. One example, um, the nation Lithicus, they are the arts nation like what they do is they're like responsible for like pop culture and arts and literature and theater and even martial arts like and other nations go to them for that you know like maybe some other nation like danrock is like hey we have steel isn't that awesome give us some art we'll give you some steel you know like, <laughs> um so like in lithicus like on that page you know i have like drawings of lithicusian dancers and poets and illuminators and just different things that are like the most like when you think of lithicus you would think of these five people you know and then there's like students and then there's like one panel of three generations that just shows like you know an older man and woman a younger man and woman and a child man and woman and they're all pretty mixed you know like um the different nations are someone could have been born in one and traveled to another because that felt more right for them people move back and forth they're very culturally diverse, but not like super genetically different necessarily. Like okay. people do move back and forth. But there's also like a tendency, like when you're born in a place and, you know, you grow up there, like whatever the pride there is, it's more than likely that you're just going to be like, yeah, that's totally awesome. I love this place that I live. You know what I mean? Like, so some people move, but they still do kind of develop into their own, you know, maybe it's more common for like someone from Nodanaya to have like darker skin and someone from like Lithicus to have lighter skin and someone from, you know what I mean? Like things like that, like it might be more common, but they're not like hard rules, you know? Right. They're just commonalities. So anyway, you know, I, I, the book really goes into detail about a lot of these different, you know, different aspects of these cultures and how they were governed and, you know, like what their and origin their, stories yeah, were. Their mythological, you know, quote unquote, mythological origin stories are really fun. Really cool. There's like a big illustration to go along with most of these larger ideas in the book. So it's like an illustration on one side and then text sort of explaining the backstory or whatever of that illustration on the other page. So it's really rich. There's like a lot going on. 
I'm a sucker for massive amounts of lore, you know, and of course it's like Lord of the Rings seems to be like the, the reference of the evening, but I <laughs> can, can't tell you how many times, like, you know, senior year of high school, sitting there going through all the appendices and trying to, like, right. learn, like, the Elvish alphabet and things like that and oh, like, yeah. the timeline. So that stuff to me, like, I geek out about because to me, if you don't have that stuff, I mean, I'm not saying everybody has to go through it with that level of intensity, but yet... It serves to tell you, like, the setting and where you are, and, you know, it's it's important to tell the story. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, again, I'm geeking out hardcore about this. Right. Awesome. <laughs> and, I mean, this book kind of is like, you know, it is like an appendice to the main story, basically. Um, but then even within this book, there's a lexicon at the back of the book that, like, explains the nomenclature breakdown and, like, how, like, these actual names for things are broken down into syllables that have meanings and like, you know what I mean? So we even go into that. It's like the lore behind the lore, the appendice behind the appendice kind of thing. Appendix. Yeah. (laughs) It's like the super appendix though. It's like the appendix's appendix. (laughs) (laughs) We went deep, but it's fun. And you know, I enjoyed it anyway. It's not everyone's (laughs) cup of tea. Like some people are going to be like, what you are a nerd, you know? And I'm going to be like, yeah, isn't that awesome? (laughs) Like I am a nerd cool um thanks for noticing i hope you enjoy it but you know some people will just be like you're a nerd and i don't enjoy that and i'll be like oh okay well this book's probably not for you then you know i'd buy our book then man (laughs) (laughs) i'd be shocked if like someone went through all of that work to be like you know 20 years worth of his hero the entire time going i freaking hate all of this like (laughs) you're muttering under your breath like every night like like, can you please stop (laughs) like you don't have to write this like not gonna write it anyway Jerk. Don't be a nerd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, uh, boy. I can see, like, some extended family members maybe reading from that point of view. Like, this is stupid. Why am I reading this? But I had to buy it because, like, she's my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, boy. It's like art out of spite. That's an interesting concept. <laughs> oh, boy. But I, I love that you get so jazzed about this. I mean, shoot. Um, what is it, like, two nights a week? Uh, you'd also do, like, live streams on Twitch, uh, you know, drawing and things like that. Like, that's crazy. Like, I mean, crazy and awesome is that, <laughs> you know, you even take that further step in showing people your creation process and seeing all that. Because, you know, for a lot of people, it's just easy enough to just get the work, you know, do that, and then just, you know, present it that way. But to be that hands-on and... Have, bring people in on that level. I, I think that's actually pretty remarkable. And that's something that I've noticed a lot is artists and creators utilizing things like video or streaming to kind of let people in on that. So I think that's also something really cool that you guys are into. I'm so jazzed about the the Twitch creative community. And, and within that, my community that's growing on my channel, like, you know, I have regulars that are there every Tuesday and Thursday night. Um, you know, so my stream starts at like, uh, 5 30 p.m mountain time so you know like 7 30 eastern and then all those other times <laughs> but whatever <laughs> um but you know like and it starts at like 5 30 and sometimes i'll go to like midnight and oh, there wow. will be people that are like there the entire time and then there will be people that like come in for the first hour or some people come in for like the last hour or like a middle hour But like regulars that are there, like, you know, every Tuesday or maybe they're there every Thursday. Some people are there all Tuesday and all Thursday. You know what I mean? Like we just hang out and they they chat. So like I read the chat live as it's coming to me, like so everyone else knows what I'm reading and responding to. 
And it's just like a great time. Like it's group conversation and everyone's kind of in on it and everyone's like getting to know each other. And then like a new person shows up and like, we all introduce ourselves and say hi. And like, sometimes, you know, a new person will come by and then like leave after five minutes or sometimes like a new these person. People are nerds. You know, all of these it yeah, turns out it's exactly. the same account every time. <laughs> right. What you reading for a nerd? <laughs> um, yeah. So like, you know, but then like all of these regulars were, were new at one point, you know, and it's really awesome to watch that grow and build and like, you know, and then we all help each other in different ways. Like it's, it really is becoming a, a resourceful community as well, where like one person needs help with a website and like three other people on the chat are like, oh, I got you. Let's talk about it on discord. Like I'll, I'll totally help you out. You know, that's been really cool to watch it become like a resource for various people. And, you know, it's, it's so much fun. It really is. Also, honestly, it means that I have a schedule where like from 530 till 10 or 12, I will be working on this stuff. I will be making headway. And I find that when I'm drawing by myself in the room, I stop and check Facebook. I stop and check my phone. Mm-hmm. I play with the cat, you know, like I get distracted. And when I'm streaming, I don't because there's people watching me. You know, <laughs> like, So like, that's like, you know, five to six, sometimes eight hours where I'm just working and talking and having good conversation. But, you know, I don't stop drawing for those eight hours. And that's awesome. You yeah. know, and sometimes even if uh, like if he finishes the piece that he's working on early, then he'll like open it up to tip jar donations. So if you tip him, I don't know if there's a certain amount. It's anything over five. Yeah, Anything over five dollars, you get the amount of minutes of live drawing that equals the amount of dollars that you tipped. So if somebody tips in 10 bucks, they get 10 minutes where he'll live draw anything they want, you know, with certain restrictions, like you can't put nipples, God forbid, anywhere. Those are Twitch restrictions. (laughs) But, you know, like most most things um, he'll, you know, he'll do the best he can in 10 minutes. And sometimes that's really fun to watch because people like just pitch like really vague ideas and he can take it in whatever direction he wants. Oh, I get some weird ideas. Yeah. <laughs> like sometimes it's like really cool. Like just, just last, uh, I think it was Thursday. Maybe it was Tuesday. No, it was Thursday. I did, um, you know, like someone was like, yeah, give me this like kind of tribal punk like merman. And I was like, yeah, cool. I could work with that. And it turned out to be a really fun piece. Um, but like sometimes like one that I got was like a bearded baby riding on a stout unicorn with short <laughs> legs. And like, it was just like, it went on you know like the list it was like this so i was just like okay i'm doing it <laughs> i'm doing this Challenge you know? accepted. and that was hilarious i was laughing so hard the whole time like by the time i was done my stomach hurt <laughs> and pretty much like everyone in chat was like oh god it hurts i can't stop laughing <laughs> you know like it was great fun yeah um there's some really great people on there too yeah we've met some really awesome human beings that were like, someday we're going to meet you IRL. Ooh. <laughs> so um, what's the name of the channel? If you don't mind throwing it out real quick. So I make sure everybody checks it out. Oh, great. Thanks. It's um, twitch.tv slash JL Draco. Spell that out. Oh, J-A-Y-E-L-D-R-A-C-O. Which by the way, that is a ultra badass name. I'm just, I forgot to tell you that earlier. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yes, awesome. <laughs> apparently and i didn't 
I didn't know this until recently, but um, <laughs> it was really funny. Like I was dressed as like a satyr, like a, you know, a goat person at like a Halloween party. And I was telling someone my name and they were like, oh, that's funny. And I was like, what do you mean? They were like, well, you know, that means wild goat, right? And I was like, what? And they were like, yeah, it's Hebrew. And I was like, what? Really? What? <laughs> they were like, yeah. And I was like, I had no idea. It just so happened that someone told me while I was dressed like a goat. It was like, I was like, man, what, what did you put in my beer? Like, is this <laughs> are you messing with me? Like, you know. Dude, I think it, I think it's spelled differently. Like, well, it's Yael. So it's Y-A-E-L. Right. But J-A-Y-E-L comes from Yael. It's like a derivation. Like the way like Jonathan comes from like Yonatan, you know, like Yonatan. it's just a That's derivation. <laughs> it's like, you can't even make that up. Like what are the odds? <laughs> right. <laughs> and of course, Draco is um, Latin for dragon, so it's a wild goat dragon, which that sounds fun, right? All right. Well, or there dragon. you go. Next stream, you're gonna have to. At some point, you may have to have somebody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Draw a wild goat dragon. That would be great. I Actually, that's that a great like. idea. Speaking of streaming, you are also doing a, a live stream event commemoration of the release of the Great Nations of Adaria, correct? So May fifth, we're having a a book launch party. And an art show where I'm going to be showing also all kinds of other like art from Children of Gaia, the story. So and I'm going to try to live stream that. But right now I do my live streaming from my desktop computer. So I'm trying to like redo my laptop basically to see if I can get it up to snuff to be able to reliably live stream while (laughs) I'm in a different environment with a different internet connection that I don't know about. So like. There's some X factors there, and I probably won't be able to test it until, like, a few days prior. So I'm not going to know for sure. But our aim is to definitely do a live stream of the event. This way, like, you know, there's cool. There's, like, plenty of local people that are going to be there, but way more people that are not local. I mean, through Twitch, for example, like, you know, I've made friends with people in, like, Europe and, you know what I mean? Like, South America, like, over the place that like are into it and like wish they could be there, but can't. And the idea is that we're going to try and live stream it on the spot. Um, it might be a kind of gorilla stream, but you know, like it might cut in and out a little, but we'll, we'll do what we can. Yeah. Um, Cause the event itself is being held at a local bookstore. So we'll be using, you know, a lot of their equipment and their Wi-Fi, And we don't quite know what that means. yet. Yeah. And that's um, Shakespeare and co here in Missoula. They're, definitely like a known bookstore like it's a fixture in the community and they get a lot of local support there and they do a lot of events there and the owner garth like he's pretty stoked about this book and he was really cool with this whole idea like i just basically walked in and was like hey would you maybe carry like a couple of these books on consignment he was like do a book launch here and i was like what about an art show and he was like yes (laughs) you know book launch art show Let's make it a first Friday event. Here we go. Yeah. So, and for first Friday is um, in Missoula, like every first Friday of the month, like every month, whatever the first Friday is, a lot of the local businesses kind of just like shut down early, like at five o'clock, they'll be like, all right, now we're an art gallery and they serve wine and booze. And, you know, people just walk around downtown going from one business to the next, looking at art and getting drunk and and buying art. and buying stuff, <laughs> buying prints and whatever you know. Um, some some people are walking around buying original pieces, but you know, mostly it's like you're selling prints in exchange for giving people beer. That sounds like a pretty awesome arrangement to me. Yeah, it's it's really awesome. <laughs> it's really awesome. 
Yeah, so we're going to be selling, obviously, copies of the book, and JL will be doing signings of books. And we're also going to have, like, prints of some of his artwork on sale. And then later in the evening, we're going to be unveiling this cool video that I'll let him talk about. Okay, so actually what I did, I was talking about earlier how um, Jan Kajian, the, the narrator, the main character who is writing and illustrating The Great Nations of Rendaria, right. is actually kind of based on a very good friend of mine, John Kazanjan. And he and his partner, Jack, they actually did a record where Jack recorded John reading the introduction chapter. And then oh, Jack wow. wrote a score for it. Yeah, Jack's so, an awesome musician. Uh, yeah, Jack oh, that's is. insane. And actually, a lot of my streams... So, like, when I stream live, I play three things. I play Legend of Zelda music, I play Final Fantasy music, and I play Jack Shell music. So, like, those are the three things that I play. And Jack Shell wrote a score for The Great Nations of Rendaria while John Kazanjan is reading it. And I animated a flip-through of the book that, like, you know, with, like, the you know magical cg page turn and then like <laughs> the camera zooms in on the artwork while you hear john reading as jan Kazian. so it's it's really fun and that'll be like you know a lot of times at book launches the author will just come and like read the first chapter and i was like well i want to do that but i really want to like make this a multimedia thing and since i do animation anyway and i do vfx and editing like let's just do it up you know and I ran it by Jack and John, and they were, like, all about it, and they jumped right on it, and they're just so awesome. They're just wonderful. I love them to death. They're so on it, and Jack is actually currently working on an album for Children of Gaia, The Great Nations of Rendaria, where he's writing a song for each nation, and then writing a song for the Great Nations, and writing a song for the main character. So, like, this is something we might also release through Oneshi Press, like an album that goes with the book. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, it's yeah. really a lot of fun. So that's going to be at the end of the event. But then I'm also going to have... Um, so I have these like sculptures, for example. I have the, these two almost like taxidermied busts of mythical creatures that are wonderful to me, wonderful, beautiful creatures. They're Rendarian creatures. One of them is more of an animal and one of them is more of a person. But uh, to a human, they both just look like beasts, you know. So they're like kind of taxidermied the way you would see like a deer's head on a wall mount, you know. But that one kind of looks like a dragon sort of person. And the other kind of looks like, I'd say a cross between like a lion and a deer. <laughs> so there's like these two huge taxidermied heads. And on the bottom, there's like a little brass, you know, placard that kind of says like, what type of creature it is and who the officer that killed it was, you know, as like a credit taken by officer such and such, or, you know, Lieutenant such and such like, so, you know, there's like really just trying to put out on display as many different avenues of media that children of Gaia is taken. And one of them is a costume on a mannequin that I'm going to have on display. And this costume was used for a photo manipulation, which is for another children of Gaia project. <laughs> where I'm doing um, photo manipulations of all of these different types of elven. I mean, we don't call them elves in Children of Gaia. They have pointy ears. Yeah, they've got pointy <laughs> ears. But all these different nations, like I'm doing 
I'm actually working with models and making costumes that like someone from that nation would wear, putting it on the model, photographing them, and then photo manipulating it into a fantasy scene, you know, giving them magic effects and like, you know, pointy ears and all that. So like I'm basically my idea is to make like a coffee table like art book of photo manipulation. So it kind of looks like photos of these fantasy characters, you know. So I'll have one of those costumes on display and then a print next to it on the wall that also is like the actual photo manipulation that that costume was used for. So, you know, I'm just trying to like basically build like a widespread here. And I think it's going to be really fun and um, engaging. And I think it's definitely something that you don't expect to see at a book launch. Right, exactly. I was just about to say that very same thing. And I think that's kind of, you know, it's one of those dorky things, but um, that line from The Matrix where, you know, Trinity's like, oh, no one's ever done this before. And he's yes. like, you know, that's why it's going to work. You know, like, I, that, I that love that line. All the time. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> yeah, and music is probably my first love, even more so than comics. Sorry, comics. But, <laughs> so, so once you said uh, soundtrack and, of course, well, <laughs> Legend of Zelda and uh, Final Fantasy music. I'm already tuned in. I'm like, all right, this yep. soundtrack. I definitely can't wait to hear what this sounds like. Yep, <laughs> awesome. Oh my gosh! And it's like there's so much more I want to ask about, but I know it's like we want people to read the book, so I don't want you to give everything away. But thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and everything. I'm like, this is unbelievably like really cool. Like everything you've managed to pull together for this. So I thank you for telling your story, and um, hopefully we get to learn more about this. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I really, I mean, I can't tell you how much I appreciate, like, you even giving a crap at all, you know? <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, this is this has been great. It's uh, been a lot of fun for both of us. Yeah. Please feel free to start any more, like, you know, social networking websites or anything else you want to plug, so that way everybody gets to know where they can find out more about this. Okay, well, so the, the Cotterpin website would be oneshipress.com. And that's O-N-E-S-H-I-P-R-E-S-S dot com. And from there, there's links to all of our other projects. We have uh, childrenofgaia.com, which is, well, children-of-gaia.com. There's tracyqueen.com. There's packcomic.com. Um, all of our personal dot coms, like, Pretty much, if you go to aneshipress.com, you will get... You can find all of our all, stuff. Like, you know, it's like Rome, all roads lead to Rome. Like, all of our websites and social media lead to aneshipress.com and vice versa. And then, you know, on, like, you know, all the standard social media sites, it's just aneshipress. And I'm JL Draco on pretty much everything. Lindsay is... Lindsay G. Yeah, Lindsay G on pretty much everything. Right? Yep, um, but it's... If you're looking for me online, which would be awesome, uh, my name is spelled L Y N S E Y. All right, so yeah. it's Lindsay G, it's not, but not the normal. Yeah, you know, I'm cool. I've got a different name. Um, <laughs> but the other thing um, about uh, Oneshi Press is that we have a Patreon crowdfunding campaign going on. So, oh, yeah. you know, we're selling books and we're making some money that way, but really our sort of meat and potatoes for all of these projects comes from Patreon. Which, if you don't know about it, is uh, it's a like subscription model crowdfunding platform. So instead of giving like twenty five dollars to this project, we are continuing to sustain Oneshi Press by people giving however much they can every month on a rolling basis. So you know, if you've got a buck every month and you like what we're doing, awesome. 
We would love to have your buck every month. Um, if you got $25 every month, fantastic. But all of it goes right back into Aneshi Press and helping us, you know, fund printing these books, um, keeping up all of our websites, and just, you know, being able to, you know, keep ourselves working on it and, like, occasionally order a pizza while we're working. You know? <laughs> but, you know, and then it's also, like we said, it's a subscription thing, right? So, like, you know, subscribers get something out of it. So we also give people like live stream commissions and, you know, prints and, you know, sign prints and discounts on any book that we make that's equal to your monthly subscription and, you know, all kinds of just like works in progress and behind the scenes and downloads. And, you know, we're regularly just pumping out stuff for our, our patrons, you know, our subscribers. Cause, Cause they're our favorites. Yeah. Don't tell everybody else. Don't tell everyone who's not a patron, but our patrons are really our favorites. <laughs> that is awesome. Again, thank you so much for everything and best of luck. And I, I hope that everybody checks this out because I, I think you're really onto something here. So again, thanks for sharing that. And for us, well, that'll do it for this episode of Adrian Has Issues. And we will see you next issue. Thank you for listening to Adrian Has Issues. Please be sure to visit adrianhasissues.com to stream or download our other great episodes. Like us on Facebook at Adrian Has Issues, on Instagram at Adrian Has Issues Pod, and follow us on Twitter at Adrian Has Issues. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the Satchel Podcast app, available on iOS and Android. Adrian Has Issues is a proud member of the Nerd Sloth Network, home to such great podcasts as Nerds on Tap, Cinefreak Critique, and Saturday Morning Cartoon Boom. Visit them at nerdsloth.com. <laughs>